welcome back to Conversations for the Good. Hello, Dr. Jane. Hello, Anna. How are you today? I'm doing good, but I have to tell you, you know, I've been contemplating the two-part question all week long and, you know, inquiring into whether I'm open or resistant to befriending my body and then looking more closely at what it means to be a friend to my physical self. Dr. Jane, it's so interesting to dive into the difference between how I think and feel and how I live on a day-to-day basis. Oh, good on it. Because, you know, that's really the point of the questions. So many of us neglect ourselves. And even those of us who have established self-care plans may see them as another task or another chore. You know, it's so often, um, it's so often missing that loving kindness that we could be readily offering ourselves, you know, the same kind of kindness that we offer to our dear friends. And this readily ties into what I think we need to touch upon today. And that is the spirit in which we do things is as important as the act itself. You know, the awareness of this is so very subtle at times, which is why we want to bring it up and we, we want to talk about it. Let's bring it out in the open. Yes, I, I think that's really important, Dr. Jane. And we're investigating behind the scenes, behind the scenes processes as we launch our quest to live from our best and highest selves consistently. It feels like a reality check for what's happening moment by moment. There are things I sometimes, you know, don't notice until I hit a level of very high discomfort. Or after something falls apart, you know, I find myself saying, how did that happen? Well, yes, you know, and in the course of everyday life without awareness, we often feel like we've been blindsided. You know, we're operating in habitual ways without any accurate read on why things are playing out in certain ways. You know, and to understand situations and the reactivity that's activated, we often move into shame or blame, both of ourselves and others, you know, and this maintains a perpetual cycle of discontentment and angst and anxiety, uh, real unhappiness. Oh boy, that sounds really familiar. And, and so turning toward ourselves is the first order of things. That's, you know, taking, taking that time to kind of look within ourselves. It's just so, so very important. And it feels like a knee-jerk reaction to blame someone else or to judge and shame ourselves. But the reality is it doesn't solve anything. And it will never make us feel any better. Well, and that's just the point, Anna. You know, we don't feel better, you know, and nothing is solved. So we're investigating today, you know, what are the various elements that run our moods and our emotions? You know, we can begin to see our emotions and our attitudes clearly and take responsibility for them, really own them. You know, this is the inside job we often refer to. We can be doing the next right thing you know, and yet if, if we're doing it fearfully or grudgingly, the negativity has an impact, just as we can be doing the exact same thing with a positive mindset and an open heart. And in that case, you know, it, it stands a better chance of offering a richer, more positive process and outcome. And we can only become skillful at knowing what's going on inside us when we turn toward our own inner process with our awareness. Well, that totally makes sense to me, but does it really make that much of a difference? Well, the short answer is yes. You know, one of my favorite research studies 
referenced in the mindfulness-based cognitive therapy program highlighted this. You know, it was a University of Maryland study published in 2001. You know, there were two groups in the study, each given a task of solving a simple paper and pencil maze test. You probably remember those where you kind of follow something through a, a maze. You know, each group was helping a cartoon mouse get to safety, but there was a difference in each group. You know, in one group, the mouse was moving toward a delicious, delicious piece of, of cheese. And this was referred to as the positive or approach-oriented puzzle. And the other group, they had a version with a similar mouse trying to outrun a predator owl. And this group was labeled the negative avoidance-oriented puzzle. So this exercise was very, very simple. It was quickly finished. The second part of the study was to give each group an unrelated test that measured creativity. And this is where the rubber meets the road, Anna. You know, the results showed that the group that finished the avoidance owl maze, that negative avoidance puzzle, did 50% worse. You know, the aversion pathways of the brain seem to enhance their caution, their vigilance, and weaken their creativity and flexibility. Whereas the other group, the positive cheese puzzle folks, you know, they had a significantly different outcome. Their problem solving on that second test was open and significantly more creative and even playful and carefree. So what you're saying is that if we're doing something in a negative critical way, or white knuckling the job, we are into the aversion mode, like the mouse trying to outrun the owl, right? Well, <laughs> so, you know, I have to tell you, I've been there and I'm sure many of our listeners have too, that feeling anxious and negative and rigid, not a, not a good feeling at all, Dr. Jane, and certainly not at our best for sure. Well, that's right. You know, and we often feel like we're spinning our wheels. And the more we're in this mode, the more we feel trapped, which leads to feelings of helplessness and hopelessness. Yes, it's an exhausting feeling. Yes, it is. You know, and the trap feelings are considered one of the most devastating forms of prolonged stress because there's a perception of no escape. We're far too exhausted to create new solutions. So this is a stark contrast to the group with a positive approach you know, those folks that were the, the mouse that was chasing the cheese, you know, they had a vastly uh, dissimilar experience and outcome. You know, theirs was creativity, flexibility, fun. Obviously, their exper experience was energized by positive thoughts and feelings, uh, maybe eager anticipation, you know, all generated from this kind of open-hearted eagerness as they move toward the delicious-looking cheese. Well, I can recall many times over the years when positive thoughts and attitude carried me a long way. You know, a great example of that is our collaboration with Conversations for the Good. Oh, Anna, I was just thinking the same thing. You know, even with the deadlines and other demands we've always uh, had, the time together recording always seems like delicious cheese. You know, lots, <laughs> lots of great cheese, Anna. That's what we have. We certainly do. Yeah. 
And there's something powerful about how we frame tasks and the responsibilities, you know, how we reframe frame, uh, possibilities, you know, and we frame these with our thoughts and our feelings, our attitudes. So we need to consider the approach and aversion modes and heighten our awareness of what's arising in the moment. You know, if we, if we allow ourselves some time to do this, we're then able to experience how we're emotionally framing various activities as they're happening. This also gives us a clue about the habits that keep pushing us to do things in certain ways. You know, Anna, there, sometimes we're, we continue to do things in ways that no longer are satisfying or even productive. You know, and this awareness is the initial step in discovering that emotional bundle that we've been talking about of thoughts, feelings, body sensations, and how they're contributing to discontentment that we experience in life, you know, any unhappiness that we experience. You know, when people say happiness is an inside job, this is the process that they're talking about. Well, you know, yes, absolutely. And uh, can we like dive into the inside job, exploring the four dimensions that make emotions, body sensations, feelings, thoughts, and impulses and see how it fits with this new piece about the approach and aversion modes? Well, Anna, we're on it. As you know, we're on it. Well, our focus in the last two episodes has been reconnecting with our physical selves, using focused attention on our sensory experience, both scanning the body while sitting or lying down. And then we added attention to sensations while the body is in motion. Well, yes, we're exploring the patterns of the autopilot thinking you know, and how it's signaling the sensations in the body. So we're attempting to reconnect and befriend the sensations we experience as we're focusing on the various body parts. This is really kind of bringing us home to our physical selves. You know, we start with a stationary practice, of the body scan, and then begin bringing present moment awareness to a variety of movements in everyday life. Like we talked about last time, walking, stretching, climbing stairs, eating, you know, any kind of self-care or personal hygiene. By the way, you know, did you try any of those this week? <laughs> I certainly did. And I tried something really different, which was mindfully working out. And in every practice, my mind continued to wander. You know, my thoughts hijacked my concentration with comments, complaints, anticipation of future <laughs> events, or a uh. review of my past events. Dr. Jane, my mind was very, very busy, busy. And, <laughs> and, and yet I always, you know, I was always able to bring my attentions back to where I wanted, wanted it, you know, thank goodness. Well, I, I think that's great. I applaud you. You know, you acknowledged what was happening you know, and you gently return to your intention and attention to experience the present moment awareness as you focused on your breath and your physical sensations in the different regions of the body, you know, that were in movement in your workout, you know, and that's it. I mean, that's it. And the mind wanders and you keep bringing it back again and again. You know, we're training the mind to shift with our intention and attention to the focal point of our choice. You know, and the mind has often been referred to as, <laughs> as trying to, you know, 
as kind of a, a wild, rambunctious puppy. And that's what we're trying to train is this wild, rambunctious puppy. <laughs> well, I've also heard it be called the monkey mind. <laughs> yes. You know, isn't it? Yeah. Because yeah. it's all over the place with lots of craziness. That would be, that would be me. Well, Anna, and this is true. You know, let's keep in mind that we're not trying to clear or control the mind. You know, all this can be a lovely byproduct of mindfulness techniques and meditation. We're, we're getting to know the deepest patterns of the mind. We're having a firsthand experience of our runaway thoughts. You know, and as we observe them without judgment, they sometimes tend to become more diffuse. And we can experience a stillness within ourselves. The key is we must practice this awareness again and again and again. Yes, that consistency is really important. And we're such creatures of old habits. And even when I'm maintaining a regular practice, I often get sidetracked and my mind awareness is nowhere to be found. Well, this happens to all of us, Anna, you know, and, and can be a real point of discouragement at times, you know, especially on our, our quest to live more consistently from our best and highest self. You know, we put our time and energy into our practices and, and it evaporates at times, sometimes when we need it most, you know, and when I think about it, you know, we're all so busy and the, the everyday demands can push us toward stress and burnout, you know, and <laughs> often is that question, you know, who has time for mindfulness anyway? So this is where the sh short um, quieting techniques, like the relaxation response that we've talked about, you know, uh, starting several sessions ago, you know, it's so useful. You know, in a nutshell, we notice that we're distracted, we're disconnected from the present moment awareness. So we turn our attention to our breath, allowing it to slow down. And we begin saying a word silently on the exhale letting our thoughts come and go. And we do this for about five minutes and, you know, we're find ourselves in a different place. Dr. Jane, so simple and straightforward. And most importantly, it, it really does the trick. I personally feel more settled. My thoughts are more settled. It's like my GPS is recalibrating. Yes. Yes. And there's another option we can consider, Anna. It's called the three-minute breathing space. And this is a piece I learned in the mindfulness-based cognitive therapy training. And I still consider it the gold nugget of that program. You know, it's a mini meditation and acts like a bridge between longer formal meditations. You know, sometimes, sometimes it's difficult to find time to fit a full meditation into our busy schedule. So now we have a couple choices, you know, and in this case, you know, it's, a choice of three minutes or less. You know, the only the only challenge is to remember to do it. Oh yes, that would be a challenge for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Can we run through that process? Sure. Sure. So we want to start with an erect posture, whether we're sitting or standing, you know, and then if possible, let's close our eyes. However, if you're driving or operating machinery, we want to keep our eyes open. You know, and we want to think of this practice as the shape of an hourglass. So we'll start with the first minute, the very first minute being this wide open experience, and the second minute kind of pulling in, gathering our awareness, and the third minute expanding again. So that hourglass shape. And throughout the practice, you know, if the mind wanders, just acknowledge it and return it 
return yourself, not your mind, but acknowledge your mind and return your awareness to where you left off in the practice. So let's just run through it very, very quickly. Okay. Okay. That so now good. Uh, we'll just start in the first minute and we want to bring our awareness to our inner experience and ask ourselves, what am I experiencing right now? What are the thoughts? Just kind of noticing our thoughts as mental events. What are my feelings? What am I noticing right here, right now? What body sensations? And you might even want to just do a quick scan from the bottoms of your feet to the top of your head, just noticing any tension. So don't try to change anything. Just be open to the panoramic view, panoramic experience of thoughts, and feelings, and body sensations. Noticing that. Just taking it all in. Thoughts come and go. And then in the second minute, we do redirect our attention. You know, we gather all our awareness to the physical sensations of the breath, focusing on the in-breath and the out-breath one breath at a time. And noticing the sensations of our body's response to the breath. You might notice that gentle rise and fall of the chest and the abdomen. But it's all about the breath. And again, the mind may want to hijack us. You just kind of notice that and stay with the breath. And in the third minute, we expand our awareness and include the breathing of the body as a whole. Just expand our awareness around the breathing and include the whole body. And sometimes a mini scan is helpful, just from the bottoms of our feet to the top of our heads. Just be open to imagining the breath moving into and around the sensations of the body. And let yourself breathe with the wholeness, really with the totality of the body. And when that the third minute is up, there we are. Yeah. Oh, gosh. That was wonderful, Dr. Jane. I, you know, I remember in our mindfulness class that you referred to this as the, this particular practice as a 911 meditation. <laughs> and I thought, you know, I was, I was thinking at that time how perfect the, the description that was. And now I have to just remember to do it, you know. Um, yeah. And if it can just, you know, if I can just remember to do that, that would be perfect. Yeah, and that's that's the point, Anna. You know, it's a, such a critical point, remembering to do it. So in in learning how to do this and, and really anchoring it into our schedule, you know, I think it's important that we practice a three-minute breathing space initially at designated times. You know, so we put it at a specific time in our schedule, twice a day. You know, I found that over time, 
I frequently don't need the full three minutes to reconnect to my awareness. Mm-hmm. Sometimes 30 seconds for each part works amazingly well. But it's important that specific times, you know, are, are what we do initially. You know, so, as I said, schedule specific times twice a day. Do this for a couple of weeks. And then after it, you know, after it becomes really more of a routine, we can reach for it as needed. Like whenever we find ourselves in a funky kind of grumbly place, you know, and and as I say, as we become anchored in the practice, we're able to inquire following that third minute, you know, we're able to, to ask ourselves, really, what do I need to do next? Or what shift is needed in this moment? You know, is there a choice that I wasn't considering a moment ago? Oh, I get it. You know, having the three-minute breathing space as a part of our daily practices gives us a chance to get comfortable with the sequence and makes it more readily available to us when when we need it. And what about, you know, uh, Dr. Jane, what about other practices that we may be able to to use? Well, let's inventory the practices that we've covered so far. You know, we started with the relaxation response, simple quieting breath and a word on the exhale, you know, I suggest that we continue to do that often. We also talked about the welcoming breath, you know, and the welcoming breath is always a starting point. You know, it's the lead into all the other practices, or it can be a standalone um, practice just to reconnect with present moment awareness. So again, notice your breath as often as, as you can during any one day, you know, and then Connecting the the sensations and the breath and body, this just kind of completes that piece of of letting ourselves have the awareness of ourselves in totality. You know, the body scan, you know, this is a longer practice, so we need a little more more time, you know, in order for it to really be worth it. Um, And this is a sustained awareness. You know, we're, we're really looking to become aware of the various body parts we're noticing the wandering mind and returning, you know, to the sensations. Doing this several times during the week really will make it ours. You know, you have to continue the practice to really be anchored in them. But then there are those mindful activities that we talked about. Um, very often these are called mindfulness bells. You know, anything done mindfully counts. So I suggest that we continue to make opportunities for the mindful activities, you know, and, and look for other possibilities, anything that we do is a, is a mindful possibility. And then the three-minute breathing space that we just reviewed, you know, three components, the hourglass, the panoramic view, then gathering in our breath, and then ending with the expansion of our breath and body, you know, in its totality. You know, if we can do this twice a day at scheduled times, you know, and after a few weeks, as I say, you know, when we recognize that we're off track, we're back into the autopilot thinking, reactivity, or we feel disconnected, you know, this is the three-minute exercise that can pull us back into that awareness. It's a, it really works. Oh, yes, it does. And I sincerely believe that all these practices support our quest to live from our best and highest selves more consistently. Well, yes, Anna. You know, and, and that's the point. We're really laying the foundation. The future is always the sum total of today's. That's how it works. You know, we're building a foundation of awareness. We want to set our sights, you know, on on being aware, as aware as possible. 
to experience both the interrelationship of our thoughts, feelings, body sensations, you know, and how they play out in our habitual behaviors and our attitudes. You know, we want to use our direct experience, this new insightful knowing to make conscious choices, you know, conscious choices that align more fully with our sense of honor and integrity and compassion. Remember, the pursuit is not to seek, judge, or destroy old behaviors, even behaviors that we don't like, but to clarify what's driving the behaviors that no longer suit us, that no longer serve a greater good. And then we can make conscious choices. And what about a question for next week, Dr. Jane? Well, here's, here's what I'd like to consider, you know, that as you, as you, you're moving into your practices and daily life, you know, to ask yourself, am I more like the mouse seeking the delicious cheese or the mouse trying to escape the owl? (laughs) Well, my mouse will be sure to report back to you next week. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Dr. J. Thank you, Anna. Until our next conversation.